0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster.
1: Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
0: Welcome, friends, to another exciting week of trashy
1: divorces. Gen X nostalgia edition. Oh, it is a... We're going back to the fabulous 80s and 90s today. Mm -hmm. Hey, y'all, I'm Alicia. I'm Stacey. Thanks for joining us today. We have a few American girls today who like the bad boys. They do like the bad boys, yeah. Who do you have this week? I'm going to kick us off this week with the trashy annulment and trashy divorce of Carmen Electra. Yeah, she got webbed up with all kinds of... um... Bad boys. (laughs) Just all over it. And Stacy this week you're bringing us
0: you know similar Heather Locklear married twice to rock stars. First one was Tommy Lee of
1: Motley Crue. It went as well as you would imagine. <laughs> it was a good up. We got this uh, magic mirror though decorated for Leo season before we start the episode. Happy birthday to all of my fellow August birthday darlings out there.
0: Interesting.
1: And my Leos too. It's your time to shine.
0: Huh. I'm going to um, take the mic to thank our patrons <laughs> who support us and are awesome over on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Holy cats. Y'all are the best. Big thanks. So in our magic mirror this week, we have Marie Noel, Katie, Wendy, and Ariane. So enormous thanks to all of our Patreon
1: listeners. Yeah. Thanks, new patrons. Thanks, existing patrons. And to y'all. For coming back and listening, what should we do now, Alicia? It's definitely time to go, go, go. All
0: right, Alicia. So you brought us the many, 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 many loves of Prince last week, and this came out of that, yeah.
1: It was such a logical trash Uh, candy connection for uh, y'all, obviously, in just. Half a degree of association away from Prince. Why not go ahead and follow up with the Trashy Divorces saga of Carmen Electra? One annulment, one divorce, 200% trashy. All of it. I could set you up with a lot of introduction, but that would take time away from all the trash candy. Let's get into it. Let's meet our bride. Born Tara Lee Patrick, April 20th, 1972. She's an Aries gal. Born on the cusp of power. Sparky, sparky. Pride of Sharonville, Ohio. She's born into a musical family. Her dad plays guitar. Her mom sings. Little Tara Lee is a dancer. She takes lessons. She's pretty good at dancing. And she will head on into a magnet art school in Cincinnati. She's like 9, 10 years old. There, she's a classmate of uh, Nick Leahy. Hmm. They'll star in Peter Pan together. Okay. All Tara Lee wants to do is make it to Broadway. She wants to dance on Broadway. Simple dreams. She'll attend the Barbizon School for Modeling. She graduates high school in 1990. A little terribly, will not go to New York City. Instead, she goes to Mason, Ohio, where she will perform in a very popular show at King's Island called It's Magic. This is the hit of the summer. It's magic.
0: Wow. Okay. That's
1: definitely not Broadway level. Okay. She's an American girl, though. Gonna do it. Raised on Promises. By 1991, off to Minneapolis, Tara Lee is going to head to where the meeting with Prince happens. Mm -hmm. So Tara Lee will try out for this all-girl band that Prince wants to put together called Vanity Six. Tara Lee does not make the band. However, Prince is so taken with her, how you say, je ne sais quoi, that although she does not get into the band, Carmen Electra will say, I received a call from Prince. Saying, I think you should be your own artist and not back up anyone else. Hmm. I'm going to write you a song. And if you like it, you can record it. The name of the song was Carmen on Top. My name is Tara. So I was confused. I loved the song. I loved it. But he said, you're not a Tara. You're not Tara. You're Carmen. So Carmen Electra will give him full control of now her name, her career, her image. She loves it. She appreciates it. She'll say he controlled everything, but I love that about him. How I dress, the music, hairstyles, he was a genius at all that. Which the man does have style, certain kind of styles, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good on you. So we just accept that he's very controlling and go with it. He's got a protege. Tara Lee is now Carmen Electra. Does like young women as proteges. I think we established that. Prince will sign her to Paisley Park Records. He'll produce her one and only singing. Album, 1993. They date briefly, but ultimately, they can't decide where to live. Prince is never going to leave his beloved Minneapolis. Carmen really likes L.A. So here we have Carmen in L.A. doing it. Maybe not on top, but working her way there. She's doing some bit parts, which lead to other things, where in 1996, Carmen Electra will pose for Playboy. This is the first of her five Mm. Playboy profiles. Carmen Electra is a hit. This gets her to be in the right place at the right time with the right buzz to replace Pamela Anderson who is leaving the mid-1990s hit Baywatch. Baywatch. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of 90s nostalgia today. Spiderwebs. Carmen Electra has one season on the show in 1997 but wowza, she breaks through to something anyway. MTV is going to come calling. See, Jenny McCarthy has left the show she was hosting, a little trashy show on MTV called Singled Out. Singled Out on MTV runs for like four years where 50 single people compete for a date with one person. So there's like a mass elimination round and then a, okay. Anyway, Jenny McCarthy in 1998. Like a forerunner of The Bachelor kind of thing. Kind of, probably, yeah. Dating games, they're a thing. Anyway, Jenny McCarthy is like, I no longer want to host this show. MTV says, hey, we have a great idea. Carmen Electra, you're the new singled out host. Which will get us to 1998, where Carmen Electra is living the good life in LA. Trashy TV host, party goer. She's in a club in LA, early 1998. Get her set up with a cocktail and a, Dance beat. To round out this trashy divorce's depot, let's meet groom number one, Mm. Dennis Rodman. Oh my God. The bad boy of basketball. Oh
0: my God. I think I'd forgotten this. Okay.
1: He's also known as the worm. That's his name. I do love this quote about him as kind of a setup before we get into his story. ESPN Netflix did a documentary last year, year before, called The Last Dance. Which right, Michael was Jordan. about Michael Jordan's, yes, final season with the Chicago Bulls in 1997-1998. I'm using a lot of quotes from that piece, as Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra are heavily featured. Their romance is all happening in the same year as Michael Jordan's last season. So it, they're part of it. Anyway, in this documentary. One of the guys being asked about it says about Dennis Rodman, and I think this sums it up. You don't put a saddle on a Mustang. He's good. He's really, really good at basketball. Oh, yeah, yeah. Five times NBA champion, two-time NBA all-star, two-time NBA defensive player of the year, seven-time NBA all-defensive first team. No joke. Good player. But he's a bad boy. He's outlandish. He has tattoos and earrings. He'll show up to his own book premiere in a wedding dress. Do you remember this? It was like headline news. Like the picture appeared in my head when you said it. Yes. Basketball is not quite used to this kind of player. I mean, he's good, though. He leads the league in rebounding, an NBA record seven straight seasons, wins consecutive Defensive Player of the Year awards, back-to-back titles with the Pistons, before he teams with Jordan and Scottie Pippen for three championships with the Bulls. What good player, Dennis. (laughs) He's born May 13th in 1961 in Trenton, New Jersey. He's a tourist man. His mama is Shirley. His father's name, you're going to like this a lot. His dad's name is Philanderer.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. His parents were like,
1: well. Philanderer Rodman Jr. Philanderer. Call me Phil. <laughs> well, Philanderer dad is in the Air Force and is going to bail on mom. And Dennis and his two sisters moves to the Philippines. Was he philandering? Yeah. I mean, okay. Uh, dad will say, by Dad's account, by Philanderer's account, he's got twenty six, maybe twenty eight kids. Wow. His mother really pegged him. Dennis Rodman will say, my dad Philanderer had forty seven kids. Oh my God. Dennison Philander, or dad. They could almost staff that show she's hosting just with,
0: just, just with Rodman half-siblings. Data
1: Rodman. Okay. Dennis and dad are going to stay estranged for a long time. I'm amazed. They won't meet after dad deserts the family until 2012. I mean, not even a decade ago. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's some pretty intense imago right there. Mom is working hard to support the family. Three, four jobs at a time. Dennis has two sisters. It is a woman-centered household, and Dennis is kind of out of place. But mom gives him the name of the worm here for the way he wriggles around when he's playing pinball games. He's a tiny little kid. He's not a star. He's left out. His sisters both become All-American basketball players at their respective university. But Dennis, is a freshman in high school... Is five feet six inches tall. He can't play ball. He's benched from teams if he's not entirely cut from teams because he sucks at sports. Mm-hmm. And he graduates high school. By this time, he's only like five eleven. Wow. Mm-hmm. He gets a job as a janitor. But there's something to be said about late blooming. I was gonna say, when does his growth spurt hit? Then, after he take like after he graduates high school, he goes from five eleven to 6 feet 7 inches tall in a really short time span. Oh my god. Wow. I, that's I don't late. know what yeah. I don't know when you met Jack and his magic beanstalk in the mm-hmm. woods for some beans I but found a bottle and I rubbed it. So he grows almost a foot, right? This is not a body he's ever been in and a genie popped out. <laughs> he's super awkward. He's mm-hmm. not into his body yet but Hey, I'm really tall now. Maybe I can get in with my sisters and play some basketball. Now maybe I won't suck as bad as I have all of these childhood memories of being kicked off teams because right. I sucked at sports.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So he's like 19 and suddenly mm-hmm. a
1: giant. Okay. yeah. Word kind of gets out about the worm. Whoa. So he will <laughs> land himself into a very long worm playing with some colleges. He bounces around a little bit because of some poor academic showings, but he'll do okay enough to get himself eligible for the 1986 draft, where he is drafted the third pick in the second round to the Detroit Pistons. Next year, following year 1987, the Detroit Pistons are in the playoffs. They don't make it. 1988, they're in the finals. They don't win, but in 1989, whoa, the Pistons, they do it anyway. They win. And there are, at this point in the story, a lot of stats and players and expansions, and uh, and we're not here for that. This isn't trashy basketball. Okay, so Dennis Rodman's going to go to the Spurs for a quick minute, and then he's going to head on to Chicago, the Bulls, for the 1995-1996 season. All right, the Bulls, doing great. Let's get Dennis Rodman to the depot. It is worth mentioning here. Dennis Rodman has one previous marriage. He begins dating Annie Bakes in 1987. They have a daughter in 1988. These two tie the knot in September of 1992. Huzzah! Mazel! No. There are a lot of infidelities. Many of them, there are accusations of abuse. All kinds. Not Mm. just rounded to one particular kind. These two are divorced after a marathon 82-day marriage. 82 days. That's your baseline. Okay. That's your bench line. Okay. Okay. Putting that in my brain pan. Moving in our timeline. Let's get back to the Trashy Depot. We got a good dance beat going. We're in a club in early 1998. There's Dennis Rodman, a bull, Carmen Electra on top of something. Dennis likes her a lot. Carmen will tell the Chicago Sun-Times, We exchanged numbers, and he would call and call and call, and I wouldn't respond. Finally, one day I picked up the phone, and he invited me to come hang out with him, and I went for it. I went in. Dennis was considered to be the bad boy of basketball, and I like bad boys. Well, it's good to know your type, I guess. Let's get into this nine-month courtship before the wedding, because they're going to date nine months before they elope to Las Vegas. Carmen's traveling back and forth to Chicago and about Dennis Rodman. Like she thinks he's a quiet guy who likes cheeseburgers and milkshakes before games. And he calls her mama. He's the dreamiest. She loves his sweet romantic side and will tell this side to the Los Angeles Times quote. One day when the Bulls had an off day from practicing, Dennis said he had a surprise for me. He blindfolds me, and we get on his motorcycle. When he finally takes my blindfold off, we're standing at the Bulls' practice facility, Center Court. It was crazy. Like two kids in a candy store. We were eating popsicles from the fridge and pretty much having sex all over the damn place. In the physical therapy room, in the weight room, obviously on the court. To be honest, I don't think he's ever worked out so hard in his life. Charming. Work hard, party hard. Work hard, play hard. I don't... Okay. Yeah. Carmen will continue talking about the lifestyle. After the game, the party was on. It would start with dinner. Then we'd go to the strip clubs. After hours, I was trying to keep up. I kept up for a long time. I literally felt like one of the boys trying to keep up with Dennis. You can't saddle a Mustang. (laughs) Okay. She'll continue. I almost think of him as not human. (laughs) I would have the worst, worst headaches in the morning and he'd go out to practice. A couple of times he may have been a little late. Okay, there might have been a time, certainly was, a time where he was a little late where Michael Jordan had to come and get his ass. <laughs> Carmen will tell the Associated Press, I remember being in the living room naked in Dennis's house in Chicago. Dennis was very humble. He threw a mattress in front of the couch in the living room and that's where he always slept. That's where I slept as well. We were both naked, actually, when there was a knock at the door and Dennis jumps up. I don't know if he answered the door naked or not. I can't remember that part because I was hiding. (laughs) He just turned around to me and said, it's Michael Jordan. I've got to go practice. Oh, my God. Sometimes the stories really just do tell themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Carmen and Dennis good at what they do. Dennis talks to the Bulls in November and he's like, I need a vacation. I'm taking a vacation. And they're like, we can give you 48 hours. And he's like, I'll take it off to Las Vegas. He sends a private plane to pick up Carmen. Meet me in Las Vegas. This is November 13th, 1998. They meet. They gamble. They party. She's done by like 3 a.m. But Dennis stays out. They're no slowing him down. Comes in at 7.30 in the morning with a fantastic idea. Honey, let's get married. Oh, no. Did you hear about my 82-day marriage? Oh, it gets better. Okay. November 14th, 1998. The two will head to the Little Chapel of the Flowers. Before the staff is there, they're not open. They head, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. Let's get married. Dennis springs for the no-frills package. Fifteen minutes later, they're a man and wife. Woo! He mazel. sprung for the no frills. Correct.
0: Dennis Rodman at the height of his Chicago Bulls fame, marrying the Carmen. Cheapest Electra. package
1: that they have. Wow! Hmm? Don't make it memorable. Whatever you do. Oh, they don't because one day later, there's a statement from Dennis Rodman's agent, who says, "Nope, nobody. This marriage is not legal." Dennis Rodman was drunk. He doesn't even remember doing it. And Carmen Electra is a gold digger with ulterior motives. It's all terrible. Wow. And it's over. Doesn't last a day before Dennis Rodman's agent is like, it's done. Okay. Now Dennis Rodman will send out his own statement that is smuggled to the press on like a cocktail napkin. Like, he gets it to the press. So his agent's like, that is not even real. And Dennis Rodman's like, that's totally real. I love her. She's not a gold digger. We're in love, and you can't stop our trashy love. All right. Whatever happens, an annulment is filed for, want to take a guess, nine days after the marriage. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Carmen says he was sober. She took this on in good faith. I mean, they'll make every front page and people are like, oh, it's all a publicity stunt. I'll let y'all make your own determination on that. If it is, it worked. <laughs> if it isn't, I, it's not that far of a jump to see how it could be perceived as one. Right, right. They will still show up together in appearances and press conferences, like out and about so everybody's like, are you getting are you getting this marriage annulled? Are you on again? Are you off again? So part of this trashy scuttlebutt, rumored, is that Carmen didn't sign a prenup. She said, I was never asked to sign a prenup. And if you had asked me to, I would have. I'm not a gold digger. Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra. They are finally done annulled April of 1999, five months after the marriage. On the grounds of him being too drunk to remember. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm sure the business of Dennis Rodman was outraged that this had happened.
1: I mean, prenup for sure. You told the Bulls you just needed a weekend in Vegas to, you know. Clear your head. See some dancers and gamble a little when you've gone and done this. Okay. It gets trashier. I guess they celebrate now that they're... Annulled and not together their wedding anniversary in November of 1999. So just a year after the trashy marriage, the nine days, the annulment. Okay, so let's not celebrate what would have been our one-year anniversary. They're in Miami at the Bentley Hotel, where these two get in some kind of verbal, physical altercation, beginning in their penthouse suite, that makes it all the way down the boutique hotel, Into the lobby where there are a lot of cameras, a lot of press, and then soon enough, Miami's finest. Both of them are arrested on simple battery charges. They're arraigned. They're released each on $2,500 bond and the judge in their arraignment. (laughs) This is amazing. Ordering them not to have any communication with each other whatsoever. You're not allowed to look at her, call her can't call him nobody do not communicate i will rescind your bond their judge is not having it they manage to stay away from each other charges eventually get dropped carmen electra will say a few things in secret the lover is playing in my head <laughs> fullness of time uh about the tumultuous love she and dennis rodman share she will tell the associated press Yes, we had a blast in this wild love, but we had a lot of hard times, too, a lot of struggles. No matter what, I'll always wish him the best. Dennis Rodman will go on to have many more years of a colorful history with the press and arrests and love and some breakups. Didn't he try to negotiate with North Korea on behalf of the United States at one point? We're going to save all that for Dumpster Dive this week. We are concentrating on Carmen Electra I here. Think colorful in this narrative. is a very good way to describe Colorful Kenitra. history. Put a post-it note on that. We'll talk about it in a dumpster dive on Tuesday on Patreon. Okay. This is Carmen's story. Carmen on top. I'm not stopping that. So going back to some more fullness of time narratives here, I think <clears throat> I think it might be easy to be like, Carmen Electra, what were you thinking? But I think she reckons it out pretty well. And explaining it to herself. She will be interviewed by Self Magazine saying that the impulsive marriage was her reacting to the deaths of her sister and mother that happened in the months before the impromptu ceremony. Mm -hmm. She lost both her mom and her sister like over that summer. Carmen says, I just tried to keep big things constantly happening so I didn't have to focus on what was really going on. I surrounded myself with people I really didn't care what kind so long as they distracted me. I couldn't be by myself for one second. That. It's really relatable. That's understandable. I mean, I think, you know, it's a very identifiable feeling. She'll continue. Yeah. She'll say after a year of trying to avoid the grief, she says, I was sick of being sad. She said, I did a complete life change. I had friends to let go of a marriage to Rodman, I needed to get strong enough to walk away from, I moved, I changed my number, I really tried to get my focus back, do some healing, and let myself cry. I needed to be alone, and I needed to feel She's going to take a year of singleness, so she says after this, not hook up with anybody too permanently. I'm going to be single for a little while. It's a good thing to do. Well, I mean, show me your stadium okay. <laughs> Early 2000s. Things were great. Let's put Carmen back on the Trashy Divorces Depot and let's meet our groom number two, David Avaro. Mm. June 7th, 1967 kid, born in Santa Monica, Gemini boy. His mother, Constance Colleen Hopkins, was a model and worked on Let's Make a Deal out in California. His mom and dad, though, do divorce when Dave is seven. And he'll go with his mom out to Bel Air Where everything's pretty great until a really, really terrible, terrible thing. March 1983, his mother is murdered by her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, I've
0: heard about this.
1: It's terrible. can't imagine Mm -mm. what that does to a kid. Mm -mm. The killer's on the run. He stays on the run for almost a decade. Only caught when Constance's story is on America's Most Wanted asshole's name is john Riccardi. there are a bunch of court wranglings which change his death penalty sentence to life with no parole but dave navarro is like i could have been there i should have Mm -hmm. been there it's divine intervention that kept me from being in that house i was supposed to be there yeah okay crackpot journalist geraldo rivera will cover this case and report some things just shockingly inaccurate and one of these that dave talks about (laughs) And Geraldo's like, Dave turns to drugs because of this tragedy. And Dave is like, let me assure you, I was already doing drugs before this. Apparently, Dave hears a Jimi Hendrix song at a skate park. And it's on. I'm going to be a professional guitar player. It's my dream. That's funny.
0: Jimi Hendrix appears in my story as well.
1: Really? Mm -hmm. Unexpected connection.
0: Same inspiration.
1: So here's young Dave. It's playing guitar and Jane's addiction. Good Lord. I did a dead or alive this week. I really thought Perry Farrell had passed away. I wasn't he'd still alive. Mm-hmm. Got a great quote from him about Jane's addiction. Perry Farrell, the former lead singer or lead singer of Jane's addiction will say, the band was put together to fall apart. Nothing I do will ever last more than five years. You have to keep moving. But the sparks between us work. It makes the music and you have a person who likes Joy Division and another who likes Metallica and another who loves James Brown. And that is how it comes to sound like the glorious mess that it is. And it was. And it was for that very brief period of time. But James God, I Addiction love James Addiction so much. Kind of spirals out. Mm-hmm. Dave is going to hop on over to Red Hot Chili Peppers for a hot minute. Bad boy guitarist. But he doesn't stay there long like he kind of gets booted out. He's in a pretty hardcore drug addiction at this point. And to Dave Navarro's credit, he is very vocal about surviving family members and victims of crime and mental health awareness and recovery like, whoa. Also, he's been doing body tattoo art For he's a really talented tattoo artist and apparently hosted or did host or will host something called Ink Master. I think that's a thing that exists. Fascinating. Okay, but back to the love story. Sorry. Might be worth noting that Mm -hmm. Dave Navarro does have two marriages before he makes it to Carmen on top. He'll marry his first wife in 1990 in a pagan ceremony, lasts about three years. Wife number two comes along in a civil ceremony. In 1994. Pagans are civil. Oh, they're (laughs) very Plenty of wonderful pagans. This second marriage, though, was annulled inside of a month. Okay. So. Wow. He's, yeah. A lot of that going going around in the story. Not one to stick around for long. So let's get these kids to meeting. Because sweet Jesus, they're going to tell you about it. MTV does a show called Love Story, Carmen and Dave. And I guess this is in preparation to get to their Till Death Do Us Part, Carmen and Dave MTV special that will air in just we'll get to that part in a second. So, y'all, I watched this shit. I watched 20 minutes of this whole program and I took notes. Tell me more. In brief. Mm. Their first date is November 10th, 2000. It's a blind date. They're meeting at a restaurant. Carmen doesn't want to meet them by herself, so she has four girlfriends come along. And he's like, this is awkward as fuck. And they both think like each other is just beautiful. And she's like, I knew he was my man. And all of her friends are really mad because they're getting ignored. And the two are sort of falling in love over the table. And the friends are like, this is really uncomfortable.
0: Did the friends not understand that it was a setup? Like it was a blind date?
1: I don't know. He walks her out to the valet and he asks her, do you want to go get tea? Like, I'm a very sensitive tea guy. You know, I'm no threat. I just like, I like you so much. I want to hang out with you. And she's like, I don't like tea. So, of course, he hears, I don't don't like you. Yeah, I don't want to go anywhere with you. If she had asked me out for a cup of vomit, I would have gone. Like... I was so into her, but here's how, you know, he likes her. He calls her the next day to make plans for the next date happening like the following Sunday. They go see Requiem for a dream. They go to the Ivy for lunch and they have a kiss at the end of that date. And I did like this quote. Uh, Dave Navarro says it was one of those kisses where, you know, the rest of your life will be different. And whoa, Mm -hmm. those kind of kisses are amazing. She says, he reminds her of a baby bird who lives in this nest. He's a sweet little bird. That's his, that's her name for him. Bird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And they're both very big on saying, you know, the image of what you see is not what we are. We're very well publicized. But, you know, we've heard all the wild stories about each other. None of that stuff has a bearing on the present. We've talked about our stories. We have no secrets between each other, which all sounds great. They say they do timeouts. Like they'll just like put a pause on fighting if something else needs to happen. They say they call each other all the time. They're codependent. She's meeting him at a show and she's like, (laughs) this is only in Hollywood, y'all. She says, I wish he was there for my red carpet, but I'm meeting him there. Isn't it funny? We both have a good side. And they're opposite sides, so I'm always on his left when we walk together. I don't know if we've ever really actually thought about it that hard. Welcome to an audio medium. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of general gushing. I'm blown away by him and his heart, and he's perfect. And holy cats, I love her so much. And she's amazing. And so they're moving into a home... At the end of this. Oh, he calls her mouse. They're bird and mouse. Bird and mouse. Bird and mouse. And she hates that he smokes. And he hates that she drinks Coca-Cola and leaves half a Coca-Cola can, cans everywhere. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'd throw them away, but you put your cigarette butts in them. So Mm -hmm. you can tell by this 20 minute love story. Spectacular. It's probably going to go great. (laughs) Oh, they're unpacking. He's pulling out her vibrator box. MTV, learn how to edit, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he says he knows he wants to marry her. He proposes in Santa Monica in a hotel room, kneeling at the edge of the bed. Just fine. He proposes. She accepts. And I did not have the wherewithal to watch any of the Till Death Do Us Part MTV seven episodes spectacular. But here's what I researched about this precious wedding. I tell you. It aired after Newlyweds Nick and Jessica on MTV. Carmen and Dave shot seven episodes that covered through the wedding planning process to get to the wedding in episode seven. Bird and Mouse claim to be just a regular old couple. It's old fashioned love. Dave says, who cries when he sees her coming down the aisle Mm. in their wedding Mm. in Las Vegas. Love is old fashioned. I didn't expect it. I was open to it. It wasn't at the same chapel, was it? God, I hope not. I'm not sure. I'm sure MTV at least sponsored a room for that or something. I don't know. Like I said, I did not have the wherewithal to watch the program. not have a second wedding in Vegas. Go ahead. I was standing at the altar in the moment I saw her come through the curtains before she walked down the aisle. I lost it. Because all the ego and fear and self-centeredness went out the window, And it really just became about this warmth and this love that I'd never experienced. And I was just so grateful. I mean, those were tears of gratitude. How will this marriage be different, Mr. Bad Boy Rockstar? The two were interviewed and about it like in one of their press junkets. And he says, I've certainly done enough for the both of us, but we've experimented enough with the darkness and the fun and the wild side of stuff. But for me... It was the old-fashioned home life with the picket fence and the beautiful wife and the loving support. And Carmen will interject and say, After a while, it's kind of what you want. And kids, they get what they want. For a moment in time, about three years. But in 2006, the couple will announce their separation. Now, people had already been kind of talking. Like, things are rocky in their romance, so... Dave, on his website, will write April 16th of 2006, just about all the gossip. And he'll say, so we're guarding all the gossip. Are we getting a divorce? Are we having a baby? Are we doing sex aerobatics? Well, none of those things are true. However, I wouldn't mind trying the sex aerobatics thing. Right. He's traveling. She's like, they're spending a lot of time apart, which, you know, doesn't. happens in their industries, yeah. So on his website, July 18th, 2006, he will write... I just want to say thanks for all of your love and support. I'm sure that you can understand I wish to keep all personal matters private. She says it's amicable. Marriage number two for Carmen. Done. In 2017, in the fullness of time, Carmen will tell E! News that they still have a lot of love for each other. We're still really good friends. I just posted a shot on Instagram because we ran into each other at the same hotel. We have a connection and it's undeniable and I'll love him forever bird and mouse but will not be married to him forever no the paperwork is officially completed on this love affair february 2007 and they do still post about each other they remain really close after the divorce though carmen will date david spade colin farrell simon cowell there's
0: so much overlap yeah
1: swimmer ryan lochte oh singer max george too mouse likes love She'll get engaged again to a dude named heavy metal guitar guy, another music dude, Rob Patterson. But after about four years or so, long engagement, they're no longer engaged and there's never a wedding. But I do have a feeling Carmen will always end up on top. So much. Oh, she recently appeared like last week, week Mm -hmm. before, in the celebrity dating game. Oh. Where three regular people attempt to vie for a date with a celebrity. (laughs) wow Carmen will choose bachelor number two after asking such hard hitting questions as asking the contestants to describe themselves as roller coasters describe their perfect evenings and ask them what their stage names would be as she is known by her stage name as well interesting well her career really just has
0: come full circle huh
1: I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff. Like, I think she's, her her net worth is perfectly fine. Uh. Carmen Electra's gonna do what Carmen Electra wants to do. When it comes to trash cans. Hmm. Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra, you get a whole stadium full. That's fair. I'd put them in Las Vegas, but I'm gonna leave the trash cans for Las Vegas for Carmen Electra with Dave Navarro. Trash cans filling up the Little Chapel of Flowers don't have the marriage in the same place as you had the bad. Also a stadium full for Dennis Rodman. Cause. <laughs> Just because. No, they fucked on coach's desk, dude. I don't. Sure. Th- She's like, sorry, coach. Freelance
0: diplomats are also trash can worthy.
1: Je ne sais quoi. <clears throat> and that is the trashy divorces saga of Carmen Electra. And her two fellows And her two bad boys. So far. So far. Yes. Let's take a break. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back with another American girl. So many overlaps here. With uh, a penchant for bad boys as mm-hmm. well. See you on the flip. We want to
0: welcome Feels CBD to the show this week. Feels, that's F-E-A-L-S, has been helping us get a good night's sleep for a while now. And whether you're dealing with sleep issues, stress, pain management, daytime focus, whatever, Feels CBD might be just what
1: you're looking for. Feels is a premium CBD. Derived from organically grown full spectrum hemp, right here in the United States. This is a company that really cares about the details. Feels packaging is gorgeously designed, and their monthly membership makes your self care really straightforward. I've been sleeping so
0: well by putting a few drops of Feels under my tongue about 30 minutes before I lay down. It's really boosted my ability to get to sleep as well as my sleep quality. If you're new to CBD, you may need to experiment a little to find the right dose for you.
1: Feels really cares about the details. They offer a free CBD hotline to help you find your perfect dose. The customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best experience out of your CBD, whatever your goals are, and whatever your experience level with CBD.
0: And with Feels monthly membership, you have one less thing on your to-do list every month. You'll get 50% off your first order, Easy monthly delivery straight to your door, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Feels also has this cool three-vial flight available, like you're sampling
1: craft beer or something, so you can actually feel how the different doses work for you. Become a member today by going to Feels. F E A L S. dot com slash Trashy and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping.
0: That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash trashy to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's com slash trashy. Summer reading season is upon us.
1: Have you ever considered how your personal finances would read as a literary genre? Would it be a sweet romance with a happy ending? or a thriller you could only read during the day.
0: The clever ladies at The Oak Tree Group want to help you write your most compelling financial story. These three holistic planners have 77 years of combined experience helping people navigate all
1: kinds of financial plot twists and turns. They can help you with a wide breadth of financial strategies. Check out their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net and see the experience and areas of expertise these women bring to the people they serve. The Oak Tree Group is offering our listeners
0: a free one-hour consultation on your financial script. See their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, for additional contact details.
1: So you've got another girl who likes bad boys. Stacy, for the back half of this episode.
0: Some better than others. Oh my, uh-huh. tell me. Oh, the 80s. The decade dawned with a burst of optimism as a new president spoke of mourning in America and promised to turn the page on the bad old days that had come before. Greed was good. And as far as I can tell from working on this show, cocaine was everywhere. Everywhere. Which possibly fed the greed is good thing. Anyway, heady days there at the dawn of the 80s. On our television screens, producer Aaron Spelling had moved into a phase of his career where he would be launching monster show after monster show, stuff like Charlie's Angels and The Love Boat starting in the 70s and on to some of the biggest shows of the 80s and 90s. I know you covered Aaron Spelling in much more detail when you covered the divorces that gave us Tori Spelling and Dean McDermott, but I mention it because as the sparkling 80s dawned, Aaron Spelling cast a fresh-faced UCLA student named Heather Locklear in his series, Dynasty. And a cultural touchstone of the 80s and 90s was born. Heather herself, Heather Dean Locklear, was born in LA on September 25, 1961. She's a Libra. To a production executive mom and a UCLA administrator dad. It was a big family. Heather was the fourth child and has two sisters and a brother, all older, obviously. The kids were super close growing up, they attended public schools, and by all accounts, they had about as normal a childhood in the 60s and 70s as you could possibly imagine. Fantastic. Just tight-knit family doing the thing. Fascinatingly, Heather's family had no idea that their youngest child and sibling would grow up to be on the covers of magazines and on television she was kind of an awkward kid, but it's L.A. So, of course, she was exposed to, like, the beautiful things of the world. It's L.A., yeah. And as a teen, she really started to blossom. So there's this uh, lifetime intimate portrait thing from the 90s oh, on her those. that I watched, And they had interviewed her parents before they spoke to her. Okay. And so the interviewer is telling Heather Locklear all these things her parents are saying, uh, like, had said about, like, she was such a gawky kid and she had weird teeth and like, we what? just had no idea. And she's like, they said what? She was like, well, thank God they didn't tell me that stuff when I was an actual kid. I might never
1: have <laughs> Way to ruin my dreams, had Mom the and dad. confidence
0: to become who I am. Right. Thanks, dad. <laughs> anyway, as a high school senior, she did a modeling workshop. And I don't know that summer during the school year. I'm not sure. She was working at a deli and a photographer came in and was like, you know, there's this thing coming up called Photo Days. I think it's probably like an amateur talent search kind of thing. Okay. You should come to Photo Days. And so she did. And all of the photographers there fell in love with Heather Locklear. And she was voted like best model at Photo Days. Interesting. Mm-hmm. She is very photogenic. She is extremely photogenic. She loved this experience a whole lot. Her parents were thoroughly surprised. <laughs> you went where?
1: Her you mom, were the hit of what?
0: Her mom was like, I was so impressed that she was willing to try to do something that she could fail at. <laughs> and oh like,
1: my god! My mom and dad. I know,
0: and Heather Locklear knew none Yikes. of this.
1: And she's the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. They're saying this to
0: the youngest. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Okay. So she started attending workshops for modeling and for commercials when she was at UCLA. Eventually, she lands a manager and Heather Locklear was cast in like 60 ads in her first year in the business, what? which is absolutely unheard of. Her Her manager at the time was like, there are success, like you can be a successful actor in the business and still not land a single ad your first year trying. Like that doesn't mean you're not good at it. You know, it's anyway. 60. Wow. Yep. Yup. So when they heard that Aaron Spelling was casting for season two of his show Dynasty, there was a sit down with Heather's parents to explain that maybe college was not actually the best place for her just right then. Mom
1: and dad, you've been great with your advice so far.
0: Come on, tell me more. There's much we have not told you, daughter.
1: (laughs) Good Lord.
0: She was cast as Sammy Jo Dean, niece of Linda Evans' character, Crystal Carrington. And would remain on the show from 81 through its finale in 89. It was not the only primetime show she was on during this period, nor the only Aaron Spelling piece. The following year, he cast her as a rookie cop on the second season of his show T.J. Hooker, where she also remained until its conclusion in 1986. So starring on two hit shows on the same network at the same time was apparently something that no one in Hollywood had ever done before. It's
1: unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, also for everyone who's ever prevailed on a a network or Netflix or like, save my show, you know, your favorite show gets canceled. The writers of Dynasty tried to write her out after that one season, the second season of the show. Or not her, but like to write that character out. They just felt it had run its course. So when this story broke, the show was in rerun. So she was, you know, on TV every night. Sammy Dean. But also on TJ Hooker. And like spelling... Was flooded with angry letters, which is just amazing to think about. Because you, like at the time, you actually had to write. This isn't like emailing or tweeting, or you know, like people had to actually do some work to express their displeasure. Anyway, Spelling came back and rehired
1: her, which is why she was on the show for the rest. May of I interject just for a moment mm-hmm. with an interjection and a question for mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. I will give all credit to Aaron Spelling, talented guy, changed the face of entertainment. I give. All of that to his wife, Candy, who has a fascinating story. I think this has made me decide to talk about her on Done and Done this week. Would you like to be my special guest on Done and Done since it's my birthday week to talk about Candy Spelling? Of course. Fantastic. Please continue. He'd be nothing without her. Candy Spelling is the real dynamo in that pair. I trust. In my humble opinion. I believe you. I have no qualms. Thank you. Please continue. I want to hear more.
0: Heather Locklear was also in movies. She played Drew Barrymore's mother in Firestarter in 84, and she starred in one of my childhood favorites. I am not recommending a rewatch of this movie because I think it's probably a terrible movie. The Return of the Swamp Thing. Oh, God. I do not know why my brother and I spent (laughs) countless hours watching this movie on cable. Okay. So in the mid-80s, Heather Locklear was starring in two hit shows. She was genuinely one of the most famous and well-loved actresses of the era. There was another thing that was super successful in those years, and that was a little band called Motley Crue, oh. whose drummer, Tommy Lee, became Heather's first husband in 1986. Wow. We talked about Tommy Lee... A while back when we covered the extremely convoluted story of his relationship with Pamela Anderson, who of course you just mentioned in your story, and the curious case of the stolen Pam Anderson-Tommy Lee sex tape that briefly turned into its own cottage
1: industry in the mid-1990s. Tommy Lee also dated Carmen Electra. I'm sure. After in her I'm-so-single period. I have no doubt. Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. I
0: mean this time period, come on. Uh, Stepping backward to early 1980s Tommy Lee, this is how I described Motley Crue in that earlier episode. I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but the band circa 1981 was a group of gross boy men with loud instruments, (sighs) access to all the drugs and alcohol in the world, and this white-hot metal and then glam metal scene that they were sitting on the wild and perfect pulse of. That pretty
1: well sums it up. I mean...
0: Nailed it. Okay. Contra Heather's uh unremarkable middle-class upbringing tommy lee's was a little less comfortable he was born thomas lee bass on october 3rd 1962 another libra in athens greece his dad was army uh his mother was a greek beauty queen his father proposed the first time he met her and they were married just five days later oh my tommy also sort of has a does a little of that um His mother did not initially speak English and when the family relocated to Covina, California and his dad left the army when Tommy was a baby, she did not really experience much of the American dream. Like he went to work for the county and just to make ends meet, uh, Tommy Lee has a younger sister too. So there were two kids to feed and clothe and buy drums for I don't know. So she went to work cleaning houses and I think it was pretty rough, but on the other hand... Her son grew up to be a rock star. So sometimes that's what happens to an American dream. That's what happens. So Tommy was gifted with some drums as a kid and turned out to be gifted at drumming. So he left high school in the late 70s to set up shop in LA and be a madman his whole life. I'm sure he was not the only person who gave this a shot, but it did work out for him. (laughs) It seems to have. It it has. Things really took off for Motley Crue around 1983. And in 1985, they released their third album, Theater of Pain. This is the same year that... (laughs) I love your enthusiasm when you say that. (laughs) This is the same year that Tommy Lee met Heather Locklear backstage at an Ario
1: Speedwagon show. Well, Natch, of course.
0: Yeah, he was way too nervous to talk to her. He, like, sent a friend over to... Anyway... Three months into a very unexpected good-girl-bad-boy Hollywood relationship, Heather proposed to him.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Really?
0: They married May 10th, 1986. They'd known each other for about a year. And people covered the nuptials this way. When Locklear, 24, and Lee, 23, plighted their troth in a lavish ceremony, <laughs> seriously, at the Santa Barbara Biltmore on May 10th, it was the culmination of one of the more unusual courtships in Celebdom, a white lace and promises demonstration of the notion that opposites attract. A self-described rock pig, Lee is the living incarnation of the naughty boy ethic. His lanky body, festooned with six tattoos and all, runs on Jack Daniels and Marlboros. He teases his long black hair and adorns himself with bracelets and black leather. Locklear is beauty to his beast. All giggles and blonde mane, she is a pinup dream. A TV phenom on both Dynasty and T.J. Hooker, whose multi-million dollar career has not impinged on her Valgal simplicity. Raging dissonance aside, however, the couple oozes harmony. I've only thought about getting married once, says Locklear. I plan for this one to last, said the groom on his wedding day. I'm the happiest I've ever been.
1: Aw, oh, young love. twenty-three, twenty-four. what mm-hmm. could go
0: wrong? Hmm. People notes that Heather's shower, her bridal shower, featured a sex toys and lingerie theme. While Tommy's bachelor party was entertained by fifteen bikinied mud wrestlers. (laughs) Okay. At the wedding, five hundred guests watched Tommy in a white leather tux throw the gum he'd been chewing as he stood at the altar into the bushes as Heather made her entrance. Classy. The ceremony, non denominational, lasted forty minutes. What? And they write
1: their own vows? That's a blubbery hot mess
0: on the altar right there. No. And a dozen white doves were liberated upon its
1: conclusion. Oh, my.
0: Heather scoffed at the oft-repeated rumors that Motley Crew were a bunch of Satanists. He doesn't worship Satan. He worships me, she
1: said. <laughs> this Tom- is every 1986 wedding dream. Twelve doves. I'm his goddess. Tommy's vision of the future looked like this.
0: I think we'll be the coolest grandma and grandpa in the world. We'll be like 85 or 90, I'll still be a rock pig, and Heather will still be gorgeous. So here's what's up. These two were at the very tippy top of their careers so far when they met and married, but they were very different people with very different public personas and private interests. Motley Crue spent the late 80s getting ever more famous and successful, but also ever more invested in some pretty significant substance misuse. They got sober for 1989's Dr. Feel Good," and then they kind of burned themselves out. Vince Neil left the band in 92. After several years of, like, mounting internal conflict, I think some managers got rotated out. I don't know. This was all in the earlier story, if you're interested in the wild history of Motley Crue, Tommy famously had flying cages for his drum kit and all of that, like, genuine showmanship, but, like, he got a concussion during a show in 1990 when something went wrong, like, yeah, it was it was a lot. So meanwhile, after Dynasty wrapped up in 1989, Heather was suddenly, like for the first time in a decade, unemployed. Oh. She did do like TV movies. Like she, it's like she left acting. But I mean, she says that during this period, like she, because she had been written off of Dynasty, like she knew that she had no control over whether she would ever get another part. And so she went and took accounting classes to make sure she didn't burn through her money. You know, meanwhile, madman husband is off on the road doing god knows whatever with god knows who. I am not sure there's a movie called The Dirt that's about Molly Crew. And there's a scene in that movie apparently where the Heather Locklear character, the actress playing Heather Locklear walks in to where Tommy is working on something with a tabloid with a picture of him sleeping with someone else. I don't know if that ever happened, but like that may just be kind of a scene set up to explain sort of the sitch. But he was clearly, he has said in, in you know later years that like he made a big mistake, stuff like that. Anyway, by 1983, Heather had had enough of him. Oh. Uh, and I think she figured that she wasn't going to be able to get her professional life back on track until she closed this kind of gaping wound that her marriage had opened up in her personal life. Again, Molly Crew went, Way, way over the line in the late 80s. Um, Anyway, they split up, and Heather was quoted as saying, I'm not devastated or destroyed. It's mostly just sad. But the work that she was doing to write herself in her life paid off, and she was cast in yet another Aaron Spelling joint, Melrose Place. Oh,
1: God, I'd forgotten all about (laughs) Melrose Place.
0: This reinstalled her as a high-profile television actress from 1993 to the show's end in 1999. In early 1994, Heather meets Bon Jovi guitarist Richie Sambora through mutual friends. And that December, they married in a civil service in New Jersey, then flew to Paris and were married in an Episcopal ceremony at the American Cathedral. Oh,
1: that's nice.
0: Well, this was Richie Sambora's first marriage, since they did it twice.
1: Anyway, her second marriage, his first. I mean, it would be nice to fly to Paris and get married. Yes. Even though it seems like you found another bad boy. How does this one go?
0: Well, if this seems like deja vu all over again, it's really not. Um, Richie Sambora, July 11th, 1959, he's a cancer, was a rock star, yes, but he was not a risk-taking wild man like Tommy Lee had been. He's a Jersey boy through and through. He picked up the accordion when he was six. That was his first instrument and began playing guitar when
1: he was 12 after Jimi Hendrix died in 1970. Jimi Hendrix, an amazing influence on so many, many people. Richie never looked back and, you know, played in bands, gigged around New Jersey
0: through his teenage and young adult years He started college, but he was like guitar is the best thing. I mean, I'm this is not a quote. (laughs) But he dropped out to go be a session player. Like he knew whether he was a rock star or not, like he was gonna earn his living playing guitar. So perfect. When Ace Fraley left KISS in nineteen eighty two, Richie flew to LA to audition to be his replacement. Upon returning home, a bass playing buddy named Alec John Such who had recently started playing with a band called Bon Jovi told him to come check him out. Richie liked what he saw, and after the show, he went straight to John Bon Jovi and introduced himself,
1: like, "Hey." Oh, not too shy to make that hook up, are you? I'm just kidding. Oh, that was Tommy. Lee. <laughs> that was Tommy. He was Lee. Too shy. Sorry.
0: A few days later, the band invited him to come audition, and he was hired on the spot. Nice. So, aside from being a multi instrumentalist, he plays a bunch of stuff. That's not an accordion joke. <laughs> Uh, he and John Bon Jovi were also the core songwriting engine of the band, which, as you may know, experienced some success.
1: They were a force. They were a force. Yeah.
0: Heather described her second husband this way in 1998. He's really grounded, really family-oriented, and very close to his parents. Who I am as a person is really who Richie is as a person. We mirror each other. Oh, that's nice. Richie, who at one time had romanced share, Yeah, um, I've forgotten <laughs> about that. Said in the same piece, I had a great time dating women, but the minute I met my wife, I knew I was done. That was it. I think the same thing happened to her. It's really nice, yeah. So in 1997, Heather gave birth to their daughter and the family, you know, moved to New York City for a while because she was working on Spin City, you know, just doing the things. He's still touring, obviously. From the outside, they seemed like a pretty perfect couple and temperamentally really well-suited to one another. So... I mean, again, there had been tabloid rumors, but I I think for normies, it came as quite a big surprise when Heather suddenly filed for divorce in February of 2006. This was in particular a surprise to Richie. He was in the middle of an interview. He was (gasps) touring ahead of a show and he like, the interviewer had asked him like, hey, are things okay at home? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then this pops down the wire.
1: Oh, no. Heather's
0: publicist released a statement saying that she had filed for divorce. He was literally blindsided with the news mid-interview right before show, and his only real reaction was that uh, he'd be going home from tour during a break in March, uh, presumably thinking that, like, I will patch this up when I get there. That
1: is a harsh breakup delivery.
0: Yeah, he also, like, again, I'm sure he was just sort of stammering, and he mentioned that Heather had been out on the road with them for their anniversary on December fifteenth, except their anniversary is December seventeenth. And I wonder if Heather heard about this and it added to whatever Oh no. Right? Like he can't even it's such a common the anniversary date is such a common point of conflict between spouses. I just wonder if uh anyway.
1: It's not about the chicken leg. It's never the chicken leg. It's never the chicken leg.
0: There was a lot happening in Richie's life at this point. Uh, He has talked publicly about alcohol addiction and painkillers that he was probably overindulging in. Uh, He would take time out for a stay at a rehab facility in 07 shortly after the divorce was finalized. Uh, Meanwhile, his father was also battling lung cancer during this time. His father died about a week after the divorce became final in April of 07. Richie told People Magazine in 08, I got divorced. I was going through a custody battle. I was having alcohol addiction problems and my dad was dying. It was a gang tackle from hell. That's terrible. That's a lot. It's a lot to handle. A lot. All right. So they divorced. As noted, that's two uh neither of them has remarried, although um Heather Locklear did date David Spade
1: interesting <laughs>
0: so okay, we are um,
1: Hollywood world
0: Richie dated trashy divorces alum Denise Richards during the divorce, and she had been friends with Heather Lochlear. I gather there's some controversy around all that um. So this was also during her divorce from Charlie Sheen, which we covered way back when. Ages ago. But this really does seem like it was more... Uh, they'd, they'd known each other for a long time, and it was more like, oh, right, you're going through this too. And it kind of one thing led to another, but, but not true love. I mean, they ended up breaking up. I think they're still probably friends. They're definitely nice about each other. Oh, so. that's, Okay. Yeah. Richie left Bon Jovi in 2013 to focus on their daughter, and by all accounts... As happy as a clam, he told people a few months ago. My lord, when I look back and start to list the tours, 18 and a half months of being on the road, 52 countries, it's like, wow, it was really time for a break. We did that 14 times over a 31 year period. Whoa. Yeah.
1: That's a lot of frequent flyer miles. Yeah.
0: Well, he had a private jet. I'm getting to that. So when his daughter was younger, he would fly home on a private jet for important days for her. One time he surprised her by zipping back from Australia in time for a father-daughter dance at school. After settling into his slowed down post-Bon Jovi life, uh, he drove her to school every morning, which he was like, I had her trapped in my car for half an hour every day. Got to talk to her. Richie Sambore. She didn't have a choice. I love it. So Heather has had a more turbulent time in the last decade or so. She's wrestled with anxiety and depression, and she spent four weeks in two thousand and eight at a facility trying to get a correct diagnosis and treatment regimen for again whatever she is dealing with. I choose not to.
1: Now, that's what Stevie Nicks did. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, being, no, uh, I've oh, incorrectly medicated. Right. We need to get this fixed.
0: No, I mean, and I have friends who've gone through this with conditions in like normal people life, and it's intensely frustrating. And I mean, can be debilitating. Anyway, weirdly, I only mention this because it seems so weird. Uh, She got popped for DUI in 2008 when a former journalist saw her outside of a grocery store and called the cops, but also started taking pictures, which she then sold to TMZ. For like twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars, a blood test. Like uh, Heather Locklear was arrested. A blood test showed no alcohol and no illegal drugs in her system, but Santa Barbara County prosecuted anyway, arguing that the prescription medication may have impaired. Anyway, um, Heather Locklear ultimately pleaded no contest to a reckless driving charge. So, like, even the prosecutor was like, "Yeah, I don't think we're gonna be able to make this all
1: stick." So she did a blood test.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Heather Locklear was arrested twice in 2018 for kicking first responders who were investigating reports of domestic disturbances in her home on two separate occasions. I have no idea what's going on there, but I will say that it seems like Richie and their daughter, who is now an adult, as well as Heather's siblings, have really all stepped up to support her. And, you know, hopefully she's back on the right side of whatever she's been dealing with. So that is Heather Locklear and Tommy Lee and Heather Locklear and Richie Sambora. I feel like the Tommy Lee divorce gets a lot more trash can, like a motley crew of trash cans <laughs> than the Richie Sambora divorce. And I think he might even be due for a halo or two because piling all of those things, substance issues, apparent dying and divorce Onto someone's life all at once—that is a lot. So,
1: Richie Sambora. Also, you're a great dad. Like, amazing. Be clear about that. So, this trashy divorces podcast is really a journey. It it goes places. Well done. This week it mostly goes
0: to California. So,
1: ninety spectacular episode. I mean, Gen X nostalgia for us all. Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in. You are. The very best. Thanks for spending your time with us. We'll be back all this week on Patreon with early and ad free and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday drops. Oh, got a good trashy breakups come this week for you on Wednesday. And hey, Stacy's coming on done and done this week to talk about Candy Spelling. It's been a great up. Thanks, y'all. Well, this is your... Dominic Dunn fan cast. And so the second
0: Dunn in Dunn and Dunn is D-U-N-N-E if you're Googling. Yeah, I love
1: Dominic Dunn so much. The cover art is blue. Some of it's society trash, some of it's true crime. We go everywhere. Thanks for I'm agreeing to, to not, that. not unlike this show. Yeah, right. <laughs> and thanks, y'all, for listening and being awesome. We will be back with you on Wednesday with a We Are Never, Ever, Ever Getting Back Together Trashy Breakups episode. Until then, you can check out all of our sources on TrashyDivorces.com. Mm-hmm. You can get some free Patreon episodes out at bit.ly slash Candy. And happy birthday, August babies. Again, one more time because I'm not sure if you heard. It's Leo season. Hadn't heard. Hey, y'all. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. We'll see you next week. Be well. Be safe. Keep it trashy. <laughs> and messed up. Bye, everyone. Bye, friends. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith
0: at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram.